I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Williams wants to fade. Stoops in the end zone for a touchdown Oklahoma. What's up, Sooner Nation? Lots to talk about because it's been a while. You know, I actually did record a podcast last week, but I had some technical problems with the upload and I just gave up on it. Just going to be honest with you. I gave up on it, but uh, we did save some of the true or false questions. Some of them suddenly became irrelevant, but we saved some of them uh, from last week. And so we'll... uh, We'll get to those this week. Uh, Oklahoma softball, are they unstoppable? Huge win for Oklahoma basketball in Bedlam. Uh, is it enough? No, I don't think it is, and I'll tell you why uh, and what, what else they need to do. But let's start with this. Uh, let's, let's start with the NFL draft. And um, this, has been like, this has been a massive topic of conversation, uh, both on Internet, uh, you know, message boards, forums, stuff like that, Twitter, People have asked me because I, you know, look, and I don't want to take anything away from Perrion Winfrey because he had a massive, you know, performance at the Senior Bowl and so forth. And everyone just wants to, like, say first round material. This guy is a lock for the first round. And I've been on record by saying, no, I, I don't. I don't think he is. And. Now you've got the NFL Combine coming up. It begins on Tuesday, uh, March 1st, goes through the 7th. And so basically I want to talk about who has the most to gain at this Combine. Spoiler alert, it's not Perrion Winfrey. I I think Perrion Winfrey has etched his place. Um, And and really, I don't know that – I mean, he has more to lose than anybody else really at the Combine. So if I'm a a guy like Perrion Winfrey – out of all of the Sooners that have a chance to really kind of improve themselves, I'm thinking that Perron Winfrey has the least to prove and the most to lose. I still don't think he's a first-round guy. And I, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but the reality of the situation is this is going to come down to draft need. And, and I've talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And when you look at interior defensive linemen, I think you get near the end of the second round when a guy like Perrion Winfrey becomes a priority. I mean, maybe even like Tampa Bay, you know, one of these late teams lost in the playoffs, didn't make the Super Bowl, but would have a late second round pick, something like that. I think that's that's a spot where Perrion Winfrey can go. And, and I don't know that the combine can help him improve that just because, like I said, Everything he's been poked, he's been prodded, he's been spoken to. There's film on him. They saw what he can do in different schemes at the Senior Bowl. Um, there's the thought that Alex Grinch and that scheme was holding him back from the the reality of his potential. And, and you can take one side or the other. I know I have my opinion on that, 
But the reality is the Senior Bowl showed what he's capable of at, with a different scheme. There, there's so much out there already for Perron Winfrey. You show up, you get measured one more time, you say hi to people, and then you say, look, if you want to interview, you call my agent. Because I don't, I don't think, I mean, he's second round. He's locked for the second round, in my opinion. And if you run again, if you lift again, you know, you, you risk injury. You risk not doing as well. So just go and say hi and then, and then bounce. Because I don't think Perrion Winfrey has anything else to gain by being at the NFL Combine. But that's not true for several other guys. So here's what you're looking at. You got Brian Asamoah, you got Nick Benito, you got Gabe Burkich, you got Kennedy Brooks, Jeremiah Hall, Marquise Hayes, Tyrese Robinson. Uh, who am I leaving out? Isaiah Thomas and DTL. Uh, Mike Woods is there. Uh, these are the guys that are representing Oklahoma at the NFL Combine. And, and I think every single one of them, every single one of them, probably has more to gain than Perrion Winfrey. I, if, I, if I were to grade it out right now, prior to the draft, so right now if I'm grading this out, I think the third and the fourth round, the middle rounds of the NFL draft, are probably the biggest for Oklahoma as of right now. I think Nick Benito, Brian Osamoa, Marquise Hayes, those are all third-round guys. I, I think when you look at the fourth round, you got Isaiah Thomas there. Uh, you, you've got um, Kennedy Brooks there. Um, Tyrese Robinson, fourth, fifth round. Uh, right now, I think Delarian Turner-Yell is probably a sixth-round guy. Michael Woods, probably a sixth-round guy. Gabe Burkich, you know, he's a sixth-round guy. Um, Jeremiah Hall, I mean, where does he fit in? He's a fifth, sixth-round guy. So you look at all of those those guys right there, and there's your, there's your guys who have the most to gain by the NFL Combine. Is Nick Benito better than a third-round talent? I think he is. I really do. But you're looking at where he's being graded out. He can step up. Isaiah Thomas, there's no way. There's no way Isaiah Thomas is fourth-round talent. He's way better than fourth-round talent. But the only way he's going to get up there above that is by having a big showing at the Combine. Kennedy Brooks. You know, look, there's so much film out there. Three 1,000-yard rushing seasons for Kennedy Brooks. Uh, he, he's the guy that definitely needed to go uh, into the NFL. And so, I mean, he, I, I, I think you look at him third or fourth round right now. But again, he can move up. So the NFL combine becomes really big to just about everybody not named Perry and Winfrey. But specifically, who has the most to win, most to gain? I think you look at uh, guys like Delaney Turner-Yell, guys like Michael Woods. Michael Woods didn't have the type of season at Oklahoma that, that I think the fans had hoped he would have and that he thought he would have. But yet he's going and he's going to try to jump in there and, and make a name for himself. Jeremiah Hall, is this guy a tight end in the NFL? Is he a fullback in the NFL? You know, there's not a lot of teams who use that H-back type, type situation. Jeremiah Hall, a lot to gain uh, at this NFL combine. So I think a guy like Nick Benito, he can move up a little bit. Brian Osamoa can probably move up a little bit. 
Marquise Hayes. Those guys move up a little bit. I think Perrin Winfrey, like I said, he's locked in second round. But then that bottom, that bottom half of these guys, Isaiah Thomas, Delaney Turner-Yale, Michael Woods, Jeremiah Hall, those are the guys that if you're if you're really wanting to cheer hard for Sooners to, I mean, you, you obviously you want everyone to do well at the combine, but you look at those guys right there, and those are the guys that really can step up and make some money uh, next week in Indianapolis. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another successful 5-0 weekend for Oklahoma, this time in the state of California. Second time this season, I believe, they've been to California. 15-0 are the Sooners after three weekends of softball. Uh, the victims this weekend, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach State, Arizona, Tennessee, and Utah. Um, this is the first time they've played five different opponents in one weekend. Um, no repeats this go-around. And uh, it's also the first time they've played two top 10 or top 25 opponents you know you know they they played UCLA the, the the Bruins were number three at the time now they played Arizona that was a 10 to 2 run rule win for Oklahoma and then they played an extra innings thriller against number 18 uh, Tennessee and and still Oklahoma comes out with a Jada Coleman walk-off home run um, and then you, you finally you see a pitcher's duel with uh, Utah to end things on Sunday morning uh, out in Palm Springs and and you look at this team and you think Okay, are they unstoppable? Is it possible? Is it possible that this team, this Oklahoma softball team, the 2022 version, are they better than last year's national championship team? And through the first 15 games, you got to say, yeah. I don't, I don't know that I would label them as unstoppable, but I definitely would say formidable is, is a word to put out there. And I would say that dominant is a word to put out there. When you, when you look at the three top 25 opponents that they've played, now they played 15 games. Yes, three of those are top 25 opponents. And so you got 12, 12 teams. They, if you're the number one team in the, in the nation, 12 teams that aren't in the top 25 that you've played are the 12 games, because some of those are repeat opponents, the 12 games in the top 25 that you've played, you should win those. But then you start looking at top 25 opponents and you, you look at like UCLA, you got to play them out west. You, you look at Arizona, you got to play them out west. So there's there's a chance that you'll fall to those teams, right? But that wasn't the case. Oklahoma only gives up one run against UCLA, and that was an unearned run. Oklahoma run rules Arizona 10-2. to two. And finally, you get an opponent in Tennessee that goes toe-to-toe with you, actually has you down. The Sooners were down by one. They were down 8-7. to seven. In the bottom of the 10th inning with two outs, runner on second when Jada Coleman goes yard to walk it off. So you've got it, you've got finally you've gotten pushed this season. Because it was kind of a thriller, again, a pitcher's dual thriller it, with, with Utah. The Sooners were down one nothing early, finally come back and extend that to a two to one uh, victory. But 
you you see this team get pushed, and, and this is a good thing. I don't know that this is a team that's going to go undefeated because you look at some of the greatest teams of all time in any sport, and there's a loss. You know, there, there's, there's only one, if you go to the NFL, there's only one time in the history of the NFL that a team went undefeated. And, and that was back when they only played 14 games. So you look at the greatest teams in any sport. Any, there's, they're, they're, they're losses. Indiana Hoosiers in basketball, I believe, to my knowledge, only team to ever go undefeated wire to wire. So to think that this team could run the table only 15 games in, only three weekends into the season, I think it's premature for that. And what you saw on the last two games with the Tennessee game and the Utah game out in Palm Springs this weekend is is you saw teams begin to adjust to Oklahoma. Cal State Fullerton, they played Oklahoma the same way the previous 10 teams before played Oklahoma. They lost 10 to nothing. Long Beach State, they played basically the same way the 11 opponents before them. They lost 11 to 3. Arizona, 10 to 2. But then Tennessee did a couple of things differently. Suddenly teams, it wasn't just Tennessee that started this, but they started pitching around Jocelyn Allo. You know what? She's the greatest hitter at all time. The greatest hitter that the NCAA softball sport has ever seen. Let's just put her on first. Because walking Jocelyn Allo is the, your best option. When she steps into the batter's box, whoever your pitcher is, the best thing you can do, the least damaging thing that you can do for your team is to walk her. And so that's what they started doing. But then you also begin to see with Tennessee – a little more aggressive pitching, you know, coming really coming at these hitters other than Jocelyn Allo. You, now, it, it ultimately cost him when Coleman goes yard in the 10th inning, but he, you, you pushed Oklahoma to the 10th inning. Tennessee had Oklahoma on the ropes. I mean, if we're going to use a boxing metaphor, they had Oklahoma on the ropes. But Jada Coleman made him pay. And so you see an adjustment to the adjustment, so to speak, with Patty Gasso's squad. But really the biggest thing that we saw with Tennessee do was show patience in the batter's box. Because you're throwing Jordy Ball out there. She's a true freshman. You're throwing Nicole May out there. She's a sophomore. You're throwing Hope Trotwine out there. She doesn't have a lot of experience at this upper level. And, and you're, you're throwing these ladies out there, and, and you're, you're trying to be aggressive against them. And that's what Oklahoma's pitching staff has made a living off of through the first three weekends of the season. But what happens when you show patience? What happens if you take a called strike? What, what happens if, if, if they're, they're trying to hit that outside edge, and you don't swing at it, and it's a ball? And so we, we saw frustration begin to build against Tennessee the way they took that approach. And, and to an extent, you saw Utah do it to the best of their ability. They just didn't have the offensive firepower that Tennessee had to finally hit that payoff pitch. But this is, I mean, this is a team that Oklahoma, in Oklahoma that's really, really good. 
But they think, again, you look at the, the overall resume through three weekends of, of softball, they're the best team in the country, undoubtedly. And I think undoubtedly they're better than, than the squad that Patty Gasso threw out there last year that, oh, by the way, went on and won a national championship. And, and I don't know that anybody's going to touch them soon. They're off, they're off until um, March 7th, which is, I'm, I'm recording this on the, what, the 27th of February. So, you know, March 7th is a week from Tuesday. And, and then they'll play, no, sorry, that's Monday, my bad. A week from Monday, a week from tomorrow. They play Minnesota at home, and then they go to Hawaii. And you look at Jocelyn Allo, and, and you look at the way they're, they're pitching around her to try to not be the person that she sets the record against, but also to try to strategically squelch this Oklahoma offense, particularly if there's runners on base. I don't. You look at this home run record that she's chasing, and, and you got to wonder. I'm, I'm really curious about this. You got to wonder how much pressure does each passing game add on Jocelyn Allo's shoulders? Because at some point, the record can consume you. But I think she's in. A, I think she's in a good spot because either way, over the next two opponents are. You, well, I say more. It's more than two opponents because they come home to play Minnesota on the on on the seventh of March, home opener, and then you go to Hawaii. So either place, either place for Jocelyn Allo. Either place. I mean, would I think it it would be better for her to set that record in Norman or in Hawaii? than it would be California, Arizona, or Houston, right? I mean, there's just no way. If you tell her, hey, Joss, you get to choose the location. Eliminate what you want. I mean, so you got Hawaii, California, Houston, Texas. Eliminate one. Eliminate, well, Hawaii is going to stay on the list. California is going to get eliminated. Houston, Texas is going to get eliminated. Hey, Jossie, okay, so we're going to keep Hawaii, but eliminate uh, Oklahoma uh, or, or Arizona. Arizona's going to get eliminated. She, I mean, I'm just telling you, she, if she had her preferences, these are the next two locations that they play or where she wants to do this record. But you got to pitch to her, and that's what it's going to come down to. What type of situation are they going to get into? You know, you, you got runner, you got the bases loaded. You're obviously not going to pitch to her. I mean, you're not, you're not going to walk her with the bases loaded, are you? I mean, I really think there's probably a chance that an opposing coach would be, you know what? Um, one run's better than four. So if we walk her with the bases loaded and scores a run, let's do that and go after the next hitter. I really think there's a chance that happens. But regardless of how it all turns out, I, I think uh, I think Jossie's in a good spot the next two games or the next two locations for this for this record. Let's talk some uh, bedlam, bedlam basketball and where Oklahoma stands as far as the NCAA tournament is concerned, and we got true or false questions. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so Oklahoma wins Bedlam 66-62 in overtime. Uh, absolutely must-needed win for the Sooners. And, you know, we talked about this on previous podcasts, regardless of what happened leading up to this stretch. These last three games were going to be the defining games for Oklahoma. Did, did, could they lose in Ames, Iowa? Yeah, they were probably going to lose in Ames, Iowa. They were probably going to lose in, in Lubbock, Texas. And not only did they lose those games, but... But they lost those games rather gloriously, um, just completely getting dominated. But now Oklahoma sits at 15 and 14 on the season, 5 and 11 in conference play. So there's no chance that they're going to get above 500 in conference play. But they can get three games above 500 overall on the season. And then you look in there and you see the win over Florida. You see the win over Arkansas. You see the win over Texas Tech. You see how this team has gone through the season and upset some teams. And Iowa State, you know, and they've got a decent resume, but you have to win the next three games. That's why you had to have Bedlam. And and it's crazy. There's, There's two crazy stats. I mean, first of all, congratulations to Marvin Johnson because he's the guy that really... He's the unsung hero. There's no, there's no other way you can write that story other than to say Marvin Johnson, unsung Bedlam hero. And you see Jacob Groves, you know, he fouls out. Marvin Johnson gets more times. He ended up playing more like 30 minutes in this game, scores 10 points, but that final steal and 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 not only did that help Oklahoma kind of seal up his victory, if you're kind of on the guy who looks at point spreads and and that kind of stuff. He helped He helped in other areas as well, is, is what I'm saying. But uh, two stats that stick out to me from this Bedlam game is, uh, well, first of all, this doesn't really stick out, but it's just kind of something that's noticeable, is that uh, Porter Mosier only went eight players deep. I mean, you got your starting five, and then Chagwab, Cortez, and Johnson are, are your three guys that came off the bench. Four of your five starters um, scored in double figures. The only starter who doesn't score in double figures is Jalen Hill. And if you were to if you were to say, Matt, before the game starts, tell me who your leading scorer is going to be, and tell me um, who out of your out of your starting five who's not going to score double figures. My leading scorer, I think I would have picked Mo Gibson in. You know, I was close, would have been close there. Tanner Groves with 14, Mo Gibson tied Jordan Goldwire with 13 right behind him. But I think the guy that I would have said would not score double figures would be Jacob Groves. But he gets 10 before he fouls out. And then the second thing that really stood out to me stat-wise was of the three guys that came off the bench, you got uh, Ethan Chagua played 12 minutes, Bijan Cortez played 14 minutes, and then Marvin Johnson uh, played 30 minutes. Johnson is the only guy who scored off the bench. Sooners got 10 points off the bench against Oklahoma State, and they all 10 came from Marvin Johnson. That means between Shagwa and Cortez, you have 26 minutes of scoreless basketball. Uh, They're the only two players of the eight players that the Sooners put in the game on Saturday. They're the only two not to produce any points. Now Oklahoma has to move forward, and they have to win Tuesday at home against West Virginia, and they have to win Saturday on the road in Manhattan against Kansas State. 
because because you're you're starting you're starting to see brackets come out now and this is where you really start to pay attention to the brackets you're starting to see brackets come out and the sooners aren't on those brackets going into last week you saw a lot of brackets at Oklahoma somewhere between a 10 and a 13 seed then then you you have the just the disastrous performance in Ames Iowa the disastrous second half in Lubbock Texas and suddenly brackets are coming out and guess what the Sooners aren't on those brackets. So you got to get back on that bubble. That means you're not even in the bubble. I mean, you're not on the bubble if you're Oklahoma. You're somewhere below that bubble. You got to work your way back up to the bubble. How do you do that? You win three games going into Kansas City. If, if, if you beat West Virginia at home, which Oklahoma absolutely should beat West Virginia at home. They've already beat the Mountaineers in Morgantown. And you win at Kansas State. You're going into you're going into the Big 12 tournament right in a three-game winning streak. You're 17 and 14 on the season. People are looking at you. You're on the bubble there. You win once or twice in, in Kansas City and, and you're in the tournament. Most prognosticators at this point, most prognosticators at this point have six teams in from the Big 12. 60% of the conference. Typically the Big 12 gets six to seven in. But that with six teams, here's the thing. With six teams, Oklahoma's on the outside looking in. I mean, look, Oklahoma State, they're out. I mean, they're not going to make the tournament. Even if they were postseason eligible, at 13 and 15, they're out. They're 6 and 10 in conference. Yeah, yeah, okay, good, good. Yeah, you have a better conference record than Oklahoma. But you're 13 and 15, two games below 500, you're out. I think West Virginia, they're, they're out. So you look at the 10 teams in the Big 12, Oklahoma State, for double reasons, okay? Not just because of NCAA sanctions, but also because of just they're bad. They're out. West Virginia, they're out. Who, who's in? Well, you know Kansas is in, right? You know Baylor's in. Texas Tech is in. Texas is in. I believe at this point TCU is in. They, they solidified that on Saturday. Iowa State's in. So that, that means you've got two teams right now that are in limbo. Two teams are in limbo, Kansas State and Oklahoma. They're not out and they're not in. They're just kind of hanging there. So if you're Oklahoma, you've got to take advantage of that. You, you beat Kansas State in Manhattan, Kansas State's out. You beat West Virginia and Norman, you remain in that spot. The goal moving forward has to be get to the Big 12 tournament with 17 wins. If you get to the Big 12 tournament with 17 wins, you're in position. You would be 7-11 in conference play, riding a three-game winning streak. You're in position to work your way into the NCAA tournament. And that's where you want to be. But you got to win out. I mean, you get, another loss is fatal to Oklahoma. I, th I think Porter Mosier knows that. I think this team knows that. I think that's probably why you only saw eight, team, eight, eight players in this game Saturday. They got to get better. They got to get better. Because I, I, don't, I don't know that 16 turnovers is going to get the job done in Manhattan. I, I don't know that eight missed free throws is going to get the job done against West Virginia.
You still got to get better, but this team is very much alive. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, here we go. True or false time uh, with you guys participating. By the way, this is where I get to remind you, you can always participate in the Sooner Nation podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. At Sports Heartland on Twitter. There's always at uh, at our website, heartland-sports.com. There's always a designated podcast page uh, for each episode, and you can jump in there as well. We'll leave a comment, uh, but we always appreciate hearing from you guys um and so we saved some from last week because like i said at the uh, top of this episode i uh, had some technical difficulties things messed up and i just gave up on it just uh, you know how sometimes you get mad at uh you get mad at technology and you just walk away from it and that's what i did so i saved a few and then some of them are brand new uh, so we're going to jump into this five true or false questions. I'm going to tell you, are there true or false statements? I'm going to tell you whether they're true. I'm going to tell you whether they're false. And I'm going to tell you why I, I believe the way that I do. Um, and I really appreciate Lindsay, the first one coming in, Lindsay, because I kind of had to back away of speaking about Dylan Gabriel because I spoke so much about him. Uh, it was almost as if I was maybe even getting like a man crush situation going on. So I've intentionally backed away from Dylan Gabriel talk, but you're bringing me back into it. Lindsay says this, um, true or false, people are sleeping on Dylan Gabriel. Um, and yeah, that's absolutely true. If you've been a listener to this podcast for some time, uh, you know uh, that I'm, I'm high on Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> it's a good thing I said on Dylan Gabriel there, right? And I, I did just leave it at I'm high because you might think that as well uh, based off of some of my takes. But the truth is, Dylan Gabriel is, is an outstanding quarterback. And, and I know you got, I, I talked about the hot takes and I worked 24 seven sports and, you know, talking about Oklahoma being one of the biggest losers in the transfer portal. And they even t- took it a step further and talked about a, a whole separate article, talked about the quarterback situation. And, and if, if you're looking, if you're looking from an outsider's perspective on this, then absolutely. I think people are sleeping on Dylan Gabriel. Now, if you're within the Sooner Nation, you see what this guy's doing and you see how he's kind of jumping in here and taking the reins of this, of the, the leadership of this team. Uh, he's, he's the quarterback on campus. Even before Caleb Williams officially announced his transfer, you just knew that this was Dylan Gabriel's team. I even went so far as to say before Caleb Williams' announcement that he was going to USC, I went so far as to say that, look, if Caleb Williams comes back to Oklahoma, he's going to have to earn the spot back from Dylan Gabriel. So I think if you're within the Sooner Nation, you're very aware of this kid's talent. 
you know, we talked about the, the 8,000 passing yards in less than three full seasons. I, I could throw in there 62 touchdowns to just 11 interceptions in his collegiate career. But if you're outside of the Sooner Nation, your national media, your Texas, your somebody else, absolutely they're sleeping on Dylan Gabriel. Absolutely they are. Because outside, right? Outside you're looking at Spencer Rattler, gone. Outside, you're looking at Caleb Williams, gone. Outside, you're, look, you're even going so far as you're going to say Malachi Nelson, a guy who had been committed to Oklahoma. He's no longer committed. So you're looking at all this stuff, and you're thinking they've lost their quarterback and they've lost their quarterbacks. And so you're, you're not even considering the fact that Dylan Gabriel is a proven talent at the collegiate level. You're not even considering the fact that Dylan Gabriel is experienced in Jeff Levy's offense. Those things are going way over your head because you're focusing on Caleb Williams moving to the West Coast. And that's okay. I think if you're an Oklahoma fan and if you're a member of this football team, you want people overlooking you. You want people undervaluing you. You want to be the underdog. By the way, I will say this. Maybe a take that I haven't said before, but I'm going to throw it out there. As talented as Dylan Gabriel is, He's never had this much talent around him. Now, he was a star in Jeff Levy's offense when Jeff Levy was at Central Florida. But he's never had this much talent around him. I think Dylan Gabriel is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country in 2022. And I will even go as far as to say this. I think there's a chance, there's a really good chance at the end of the season Dylan Gabriel's stat line is better than Caleb Williams. Just throwing that out there. Uh, let's go on to the second one. Caleb, um, he says, no one wants to uh, be the pitcher that gives up the home run, home run ball to Jocelyn Allo. Now, obviously, this is talking about uh, to smash the record. Uh, and yes, the, true, the answer to this is true. This is absolutely unequivocally true. But I think it's bigger than this, Caleb. I think also it's... There, there, there becomes some, some semblance of strategy here in as much as, well, we've already talked about it in this episode, that walking Jocelyn Allo is the least damaging thing that you can do to your team, particularly if there's people on base. So, yes, no one wants to be known as the pitcher who gives up the record-breaking home run. No one wants to be known as the opponent who gave up the record-breaking home run. But at the end of the day, particularly as the stakes get higher and higher uh, with the season going on, it becomes strategical. You, you, you walk her because you just, you just know the damage that she can do with one swing of the bat. So that's, that's true. So we got two truths. Let's go down here. Craig says this. Uh, the first season of the Porter Mosier era has been a letdown. Wow. Um, because the, the season's not over with yet. I'm going to say this could be true and it could be false based on how it ends. So let me, let me give you, I, I know I, uh, as of right now, in the moment, let, let's say in the moment, this is true. I think when you see how this season started, and then after they beat Florida, after they beat Arkansas, you're thinking that, you know, the sky's the limit for this team. But then reality hits in of conference play, and, and, and let's not act like this is just a Porter Mosier issue. Let's not act like this is just something that, 
that only happens to this guy in his first season. As much as we love and respect Lon Kruger, Lon Kruger had seasons like this where they just look like world beaters in non-conference play, and then you hit Big 12 play and boom, sub 500 uh, in conference play. But let, let's, let's also talk about the goal. What was the goal of this team? Was it to win the Big 12? No, I don't, I don't think anybody really thought they would be a, a Big 12 contender. Now, I thought they'd be middle of the pack. I thought they'd be four, five, or six, not seven, eight, or nine, or eight, nine, or ten, you know. So I think from that perspective, where they are right now, yeah, probably disappointment. It's been a letdown. But the reality is, you had just, really, you just expected, you had hoped that this would be a tournament team, right? I don't think anybody realistically thought they would win the Big 12. I don't think anybody really realistically thinks they're going to win the Big 12 tournament. But most people across the board realistically expected them to be a tournament team. An NCAA, maybe I should, maybe I should quantify that, uh, let's clarify that, an NCAA tournament team. Right, Not a CBI team, not an NIT team, but NCAA tournament team. And I, I think that's still a possibility. And if that comes true, they win these last two games. They, they make some noise in Kansas City. They find themselves in the NCAA tournament. On You know, look, I don't think you can say it's a letdown. I think you can say the season went about as well as expected. But if they find themselves in the NIT or the CBI, yeah, it's, it's a letdown. So at this point, the way the current outlook is, I think this is, a, this is a true statement with the potential of becoming a false statement here in about a week and a half. Hopefully that, that makes sense. Uh, all right, let's jump back to Jocelyn Allo. Uh, true or false, Jocelyn Allo will not put up career-high numbers this season because of the intentional walks. I think what we're talking about here is the... Um, this will be a record-breaking season for her personally as far as the number of hits and home runs and runs scored, RBI, all that stuff. And I, and I think this is, again, true, uh, which, dang, we're, we're all true so far. Um, this is, again, this is true uh, because there's just, you limit opportunity. When, when you put her on base, now there's still opportunity for bases, total bases. There's still opportunity for runs scored. But you're, you're, you're not going to really lower your batting average by getting on base. So that's still a possibility. But when you look in the, air, uh, the, the area of RBI and home runs um, and, you know, that kind of stuff, yeah, th- this, this definitely is going to hurt her. But I'm also wondering when she finally does, when she finally does hit this next home run, how much, how much is that going to change about the way people approach her? Because I do think part of it is strategy, right? I think part of it is strategy. You, you, I've said it, and this is the third time now, the least damaging thing you can do to your team is just to walk Jocelyn Allah, put her on first base. So some of it is that. And, but also I do agree that some of it is you don't want to be that pitcher. You don't want to be that team. You don't, you don't want to be the team in the highlight of the, of the, of the, of the, the record-breaking home run. It's like Oklahoma fan, Oklahoma football fans, right? We hate watching the Fiesta Bowl highlights from the 2007 season because of what? B- because of Boise State. Oklahoma fans absolutely hate that because every time Boise State is talked about, boom, Fiesta Bowl highlights, this would be the softball version of that because it's a record-breaking monumental moment. And no one wants that spotlight. 
But after that, is it going to change some things? And, and I, think, I think there is a potential there. Ryan says this, uh, true or false, Jaron Kanak starts in the first game of the season for Oklahoma. Um, I don't think, I think this is the first time that I'm going to go false. I wish, I wish this, this uh, question was listed along the lines of Jaron Kanak can be the next uh, two-way star since Andre Wolfolk. You know, something along those lines. Um, and I, I might be more willing to say true, but look, Jaron Kanak is a stud. Uh, he's only, you know, he's, I mean, really, he's, I mean, he's not even a, he should be a senior in high school right now, but he's on campus. He's working out with his team and uh, physically he looks like he has all the tools, but it's, it's always, especially when a kid is as young as he is to think he's going to come in and start on this team day one. I just, I just. I can't get on board with that. And you look at a guy, think about Ethan Downs. Think about Danny Stutzman, right? These guys are stars in the making as well. And they have very bright futures at the University of Oklahoma, but they didn't start day one. They played, but they didn't start. And so I think if, if you question, if you if you change this statement to Jaron Kanak will see significant playing time in 2022, I'm going to say true. Jaron Kanak has the opportunity to be a, a two-way star playing offense and defense. I'm going to say true. Jaron Kanak starting day one, first game? No, I, I don't think I can get on board with that. Uh, just not ready at this time. Let's see what happens in the spring. Let, let, let's, I mean, maybe we can jump back to this after the spring game. But right now in this moment, in this setting, I got to say false. Um, so that leaves us, Hey, we got a bonus one. I said five, but I think we got six. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. This would be the sixth and the last one. Um, here we go. Uh, this is from Steve. Steve says the loss of Gabe Burkich is going to sting worse than we think. I, I, right. Absolutely. I mean, can you, you tell me who the backup kicker is, right? I mean, Zach Schmidt this last season, when's the last time we got excited about a, um, a position battle at the kicker position, right? Uh, because you've got the Schmidt kid. I think he kicked four extra points uh, in 2022. Um, you got uh, uh, Arizona State transfer Josh Plaster. Um, I, you look, I, I think the um, not necessarily the accuracy of Gabe Burkich, but the length of his field goals that made him such a weapon, right? I mean, basically, you, you cross midfield. And you needed 10 yards to be in scoring position with Gabe Burkich. And and I, I don't I think that's what they're gonna lose most. And and I think that's what Oklahoma is gonna miss the most about him is accuracy from distance, 54 yards and that kind of stuff. Um so yeah, I, I think um I think this is absolutely true. And so there you have it. I mean, I have six questions, five of them I answered true, and uh, one of them uh, I wanted to answer true, but I had to go false with it. Uh, and again, that wraps it up for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, for hanging out with us. Uh, please hit that like and subscribe button, whichever uh, platform you're using for podcasts. Make sure you visit us, heartland-sports.com. Oklahoma City Thunder coverage, Oklahoma Sooners coverage. We got you wall-to-wall in softball right now during the spring sports. And uh, we'll be back soon with another episode. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.